we are about uh, three weeks away from being finished, and so once we get through this night and the following two, we'll be uh, done with this study. And am now in uh, prayer and consideration about what we'll be into next, so just pray God gives us some guidance on that uh, as to what we can be studying together that'll be best for our church and where God is moving in the church. This evening, we're going to be in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 and traveling for, through, um, well, probably 14, but we'll just see how the time goes tonight. And so you can turn there in your Bible if you'd like to. Again, that's Colossians uh, chapter 3. And at this point in Paul's letter to the church of Colossae, he has first done his introduction. He's reminded them that Christ is sovereign over the church and sovereign over time, that he's coming back. And he's reminded the church of the good work they've accomplished on behalf of the kingdom of God by their faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And then he, um, at the last, really last part of our study, he was reminding the church of false teaching. And he was reminding them that false teaching, we talked about this last time, false teaching doesn't always look like a false religion, but false teaching sometimes just looks like human philosophy that enters the church. And so what was happening in Colossae at the time were there were people who were professing to be Christians um, who were bringing in human philosophies that did not line up with the word of God and promulgating them in the church. And so Paul is saying to the church, hey, the way that you deal with, you've got to deal with it directly, but the way that you deal with it ultimately is know the, know the word of God. And so when false teaching comes, you'll be able to discern. And you hear that message echoed by Paul over and over again. You see it in Ephesians. You see it here. Uh, we saw some of it in, um, in uh, you see it, some of it in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy as well. And so this was an issue that was happening all over the church at the time. still happens today. Um, there's still an issue even in our day with uh, false teaching that sometimes enters the church. Less so organized religions that are false and more human philosophy uh, that sometimes can impact at least uh, most of the churches in, in our region, maybe in America largely. And so Paul moves away from that kind of discussion about being cautious about false teaching, looking out for it and guarding against it. And it begins to talk more about the changes that happen inside of a Christian um, when they become a Christian and what it means to put on your new self, take off your old self. And so in looking chapter 3, looking at uh, verses 1 through uh, verses one through 4, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so Paul is telling the Christians, when he talks about this idea of being hidden in Christ, what he's saying is there's going to be a time coming when Christ returns and it'll be evident who knows him and doesn't, who doesn't, who don't know him. Who, those who don't know him. That's right English, right? We'll, we'll roll with it. So at this point, what he's saying is that's going to come. There's going to be a clear and evident time where you, you, if you know him, it's going to be obvious, and if you don't know him, it's going to be obvious. But in, in this time that they're in, they're in a world where, again, there's people in the church who are professing to know Christ. They don't. Um, they're hearing false teaching in the church. And then there are many who do know Christ, and they're following him with, with faithfulness. And so he's saying for now... Here's the promise. If you've believed in Jesus, you're a part of his family. You're tucked away in him 
for a time that's coming when he'll return and eradicate evil and make everything right. When I was talking to these two students this evening about becoming Christians, I do this every time I talk to students, children, adults. We, we'll, we'll pray together, but I try to remind them that the issue is not them praying a particular prayer. That's, that's fine. It's good to pray a prayer when you're, you, you've accepted Christ, but ultimately the issue is their belief. That's the, that's the, that's the key that they believed in Jesus as Savior. And so for these people who believe, the issue isn't so much what church they're in or whether or not there's false teachers in the church or they're struggling with false teaching and discerning right from wrong. The ultimate issue as to whether or not you're tucked away in Christ or you're a Christian is have you believed the gospel? I've said it this way before. When people walk down this aisle on a Sunday morning and they come talk to me about becoming a Christian, they may already be a Christian because the issue is belief. If they've trusted Christ in their pew and got up to talk to me, they already were a Christian before they got up here. All I'm doing with them is affirming their belief. I'm encouraging them and reminding them what it means to be a Christian because belief is the key to uh, being a Christian, believing the right thing, obviously. And so for these folks, they're hidden away in Christ is what Paul is saying. But he's also saying, beginning with verses 1 and 2, if then you have been raised by Christ, if you are indeed alive eternally, because when you become a Christian, your body's going to die, but you're already on the fast track to heaven. You're eternally saved. You're already alive eternally. Even now, if you know Christ, your body's going to die, but you're already eternally alive. That's, that's the true reality, and that doesn't change because you're sealed by the Spirit. If then you are raised with Christ... Do you follow what I'm saying here? Let me pause on that for just a second. If you have been raised, do you hear the language here? If you have been raised with Christ, so these people are not dead, right? You follow? But they, when they die, will be raised. First, their spirit raised to be with God for eternal, eternity. And then in time, when Christ returns, their bodies will be perfected and reunited with their souls in heaven. If you have been raised, they're not actually dead but the surety and certainty of the gospel is so true that it's as if they're already raised. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's as if we're already in eternity because it is certain and sure that that will be the case for those who believe in Christ. And so Paul's speaking as if this is already reality. Now, there's all, they're also raised spiritually to life, so that's part of what he's communicating as well. So that wasn't what I was going to share, but I just think it's a really cool thought that that eternity is so sure that it's as if we're already uh, already in eternity, not in heaven yet, of course. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So let me ask you this question. If you were reading this, this idea of seeking the things that are above, what do you think that's talking about? What does that mean? What? Okay, belief, yeah. So exactly, faith. Seek after faith and trust. Sure. Yep, relationship with God, absolutely. What else? God's will, sure. Absolutely. What else? Okay, yeah, the word, sure. Because it expands our understanding of all these other things, right? Belief, trust. We know what to trust and how to trust and the things of trust in because of the word, right? Sure. Seek after the things that are above. So 
seeking requires energy, right? It's not just like a passive activity. You have to pursue in order to seek after the things that are above. So if we're going to seek after belief, we're going to seek after a relationship with God, we've got to pursue those things. So seek after those things and then set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, I want to kind of say as an aside here, Paul is not contrasting heaven and earth as if to imply that the things of earth are sin and the things of heaven are all good. The things of heaven are all good, but the things of earth are not all sin. There are good things in this earth that God has given us as blessings. And so what Paul is not saying is the earth is just wicked and full of sin and all the things of the earth are, are sinful. That's not, there's a, there is a Roman thought that pre- predominantly echoed that idea at that time. There were people uh, who believed that anything of earth was somehow tarnished or wicked or, un- or unclean and people shouldn't be engaging in it, whether it be eating food or sexual intimacy or whatever. That's not what God communicates. Now, everything has been tainted, certainly, because sin has affected all things. It's affected food and sexual intimacy, relationships. Birds are going to die. Cats aren't going to live because everything's been affected by sin. But ultimately, what, what Paul is communicating here is when you think about the things of earth, view them in light of heaven, and then also remember just the things of heaven. So as you're seeking after your relationship with God, Not only should you be studying the word of God, understanding what it means to have a relationship with God, pursuing God, but you also need to be dwelling on the things you're learning from the word. So let me ask you this question. If if you were teaching a lesson maybe to somebody, a child in your household or you're a Sunday school teacher or whatever, and you you were teaching a lesson on dwelling on things above or to set your mind on things above, how would you tell someone practically to do that? How would you tell someone practically to set your mind on things above or dwell on these good things of God, whether they be heavenly things, like the promise that we'll be with God face to face, or it be earthly things that we're looking at in light of God, like God made trees and they're wonderful and that draws our worship to him. How would you tell somebody to set your mind on those things or dwell on those things, do you think? What's that? You're studying the Bible. Yeah, if you stay in the Word, you're going to be constantly consuming that, right? What else? Control your thoughts. Yeah, Paul tells us to take every thought captive. That means that when we have thoughts that are not on things above, we do the mental work to not dwell on them, right? Sure. What's that? Meditate. Meditate. Amen. Exactly. That's exactly what that's that's what Paul echoes a lot of times is to actually consciously put in your mind scripture or biblical ideas and just dwell on them dwell on them now not into like a trance you know that's not that's not a part of this religion but in a way that keeps you grounded and focused on the lord right meditation is a biblical concept yeah amen exactly exactly right keep talking to god all day Amen. Exactly right. And as you do that, as you, as you live for him, you're, and you're dwelling on these things and praying continually, you become kind of consumed with the thoughts and things of God. There's a saying, you're looking at the world through rose-colored glasses, well, why not heaven-colored glasses? 
Amen. Exactly right. Sure. And that's, and that's a wonderful connection because there are all kinds of things we dwell on, right? We're going to be dwelling on something normally, and it's either going to be things of the Lord or other things. And so, exactly right. It's not a matter of, I don't know how to dwell on something. Well, give me a break. I mean, everybody knows how to do that because we do it every day in some form or fashion. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So that's what it kind of looks like to dwell. That's what it kind of looks like to keep our focus on these things, to be in continual prayer, to uh, be reading the scripture. If you're yourself sitting out there tonight and you're thinking to yourself, hey, I, I don't know what that's like in my life. These are some guides for you, some practical ways you can apply this to your story. Be in prayer on your drive from place to place. Be studying the scripture. Be communicating with God. And by the way, you can speak out loud if you want to. That's a thing you can do when you pray. It doesn't have to be silent. And God hears, but he also hears your heart, and so you can pray silently to yourself. Uh, if you speak out loud and you're in a convenience store, somebody might think something's wrong with you, so just be careful with that. So looking at verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so what... what Paul is communicating here when we're talking about this taking off and putting on. First, he's reminding these Christians in the church of Colossae that you're a Christian, okay? You believed in Christ. And part of that belief is not just trust in Jesus, but it's obedience to his lordship. That's the follow-through of salvation. Now, as we've said before, the key to Christianity, the key to salvation is belief. But certainly, the Bible's clear. Jesus says himself, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. And so the the proof of salvation is in fruit-bearing. Again, it's not always consistent. It's more up and down. But when you look at it from afar, it looks like it's going up in someone's life. And so you're going to be bearing fruit if you know Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is if you know Jesus, you need to be taking off your sin and putting on, we'll talk about in just a moment, righteousness. So taking off your sin. And he gives a list here of sins. And the reason the heart behind this listing is it covers everybody. Paul, you, you don't need to be looking at this list and go, well, my, my sin's not there. I guess I'm doing fine. It's not what Paul's talking about. He's trying to outlay all these sins, not just to say these are a bunch of sins that people are dealing with, to say this covers everyone. And we all have some kind of sin in our life that we need to be putting off or moving out of and into obedience. And you know the key to moving out of that sin is connected back to verses 1 and 2, which is dwelling on things above. Because the closer we draw to the Lord, the more we desire him. And then we desire our sin less. The more we desire him and we desire sin less. And so that's, that's the heart behind how that transition happens in the life of the Christian is it's not, you don't need to get resaved, you don't need to be rebaptized. you don't, that's not a thing. 
ultimately when it comes to the Christian journey, what you need to do is repent. That's what you need to do. What I need to do with my sin is repent. And the fuel behind the change is not just a matter of coming to the altar and saying, I want to repent of my sin, although do that. It's not just a matter of being baptized. We talk about next Sunday, although do that. If you have not been baptized, you ought to be. But the key to this change is dwelling on God's word and the truth of God's word. And as you stay connected with that, you'll begin to desire your sin less and desire Christ more. Now, sometimes we get so in the middle of sin, we need help beyond that. There's sometimes where people have addictions and other issues that require some specialized attention, and that may require counseling, and it may require resources, and it may require medicine. But here, let, let me speak clearly. At the bottom of all of that is repentance. You hear me? At the bottom of all of that is repentance. And so it may look like medicine. It may look like counseling. It may look like life changes. But when it comes to sin, however far you are into it or not, at the bottom of all of it, what actually changes people's lives, those are all good tools, is repentance. And the way you get to the place where your repentance is fueled is by dwelling upon the Lord. I was talking to a brother this week who's dealing with some sin issue in his life, and he asked me, you know, how can I help him navigate it? And I gave him some resources, books. I gave him um, some uh, counselors that can help him. But I reminded him, hey, man, the key to all this, you getting out of it, is you daily asking God to aid you and equip you to push through this battle every day asking him, dwelling upon his scripture every day, and that's going to be the fuel that keeps you grounded and moves you into removing the sin off of your life. And don't get lazy and tired in your sin, by the way, especially those of you who have been Christians for a while. I've been a Christian myself for nearly three decades, and it's very easy for us to like excuse our sin and look at the sin of others and be like, oh, my goodness, they're just way off track. What's their problem? I was talking to another friend this week, and I said, the, the further along I get in my faith, the more I identify I'm a child holding my dad's hand, and I can't let his hand go because I'm so rebellious, I will wander off the path every single time. And so if I can remember that I'm like a little boy that has to hold on to my father's hand, who is God, and I keep holding on to it, then I'll be fine. But the minute I think I'm grown or I can handle it or I don't need a, I'm, I'm not a little child and I can't, and I don't need my dad's help is the minute I'm wandering off the pathway. So if you can have the humility to understand you're like a kid, I'm like a child when it comes to being able to combat my own sin in my life and I've got to stay tethered to my dad all the time, except for I'm actually a grown man, then we'll be fine. Then we'll be fine. And so log that in your heart. That's how you combat sin. So finally, I'm conscious of our time here, so I'll finish up. Finally, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive and above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, Jesus giving thanks to God. So this last part, this last section here, right before he gets to that, part about the word and singing, etc. He's talking about putting on, okay? He's saying put on these good things. And so as you're 
taking off your sin, the, the natural transition is going to be to put on righteousness. Because as you're moving away from, let's say, anger, you're going to be moving into peace. As you move away from ingratitude, you're going to be moving into thankfulness. And so allow God to teach you and shape you into that. And you know how he teaches you and shapes you into that? Well, this is what Paul closes with right here in this chapter through the word and through worship and through love. He says, if you will worship God through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, which we could study those terms at another time, but if you'll worship God and you'll be in his word and you'll love God and love people, the two great commands, then you'll be able to see this change occur in your life. And that gets back to the practical part of living obediently in faith. It's not just a matter of praying, not just a matter of thinking, not just a matter of dwelling, but it's also a matter of acting. It's also a matter of acting. And how we stay tethered to this change is through uh, worship of God, through his word, and through loving our neighbor. I'll close. God, we thank you for this night, and I thank you for this privileged time to talk together. I, I praise your name for your word. And God, I pray for each one here as they contemplated their own sin and their own need for righteousness this putting on and uh, taking off. God, I, I pray that you help us to all the more draw to your scripture, all the more draw to you in prayer. Um, God, daily, in and out, help us to remember we're children holding your hand and not forget that. And we just thank you for Jesus this night and the change that can happen in every single life in this room if we'll just pursue the Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.